0: Welcome to the Wharton Moneyball podcast. Today we have Ned Colletti, 40 years plus in baseball, former GM of the Dodgers. Shockingly, now he actually works for the San Jose Sharks in the NHL as a scout. And one of the questions we talk to him is what credentials does he possibly have and what transfers between baseball and hockey? So listen to our show here on Wharton Moneyball. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Wharton Moneyball on Business Radio. Welcome to Wharton Moneyball, sports... Talk and Analytics here on SiriusXM. I'm joined by my co-host today, Cade Massey, Adi Weiner, Shane Jensen may jump in as well. One of the great things about our show for the last nine plus years has been that we get to talk to people who are actually on the front lines of analytics and sports. And guys, this is no exception. Uh, We're now joined again. This is his return visit to Wharton Moneyball, Ned Coletti. Uh, Ned's an executive with Forty years plus experience in Major League Baseball, including general manager of the Dodgers. Um, I could spend all of our time we have with him reading his bio, but I'll just say a few things. Um, A four-time Emmy Award winning baseball analyst. He's now joined the professorate. He's a professor of sports administration at Pepperdine University. He's the author of the best-selling book, The Big Chair. And now we're going to have to talk to him about this as well. He's also now worked as a scout for the San Jose Sharks, the National Hockey League. So again, Ned, uh, welcome back to Wharton Moneyball.
1: Well, thank you. And thank you for the for the nice
0: introduction. Well, Ned, there's so many things we could talk to you about. But one of the things that I think we feel an obligation to talk to you about is the rule changes that have occurred in baseball. And there's a lot of discussion about, you know, maybe it hurts the pitchers because they don't have as much time to rest in between. There's also maybe it helps the batters because they can time things a little better. But who knows? Um, what, what do you think the effect of the rule changes have been both? Let's talk about it from three perspectives. I, we'd be happy to hear all three. Is there any change in what the front office will have to do because of the rule changes? Second, how about from the player perspective? And also, of course, from the fan perspective.
1: Well, I would say one of the main changes in front offices is with the um with the elimination of the shift, the defensive shift. Um, you can no longer have a middle infielder or even really a third baseman who doesn't have range. In the past, you could get away with it a little bit because you could play that player in short right field if you had a left-handed pole hitter up. You can't do that anymore. So first step quickness, being able to read uh the bat off the ball or the ball off the bat. All these things, uh, you're going to have to build your defense uh, a little bit differently for that. Also, your your pitching, uh, you know, you you talked about the the shortness between pitches now, which I think from the fan standpoint is terrific. Um, I think that that will take some getting used to. And I would almost, um, I wouldn't mind if we get to September 1st and they move it back a little bit, maybe four or five seconds of pitch, uh, certainly in the month of October. Uh, to give it a little bit more life, uh, not life, but air to it. Um, I think it's been a a revolutionary change. I think baseball was starting to lose a generation of fans um, that didn't want to sit for three and a half hours and watch a game, be it on a media or be it on in person. So I think that is a a magical change for them, tremendous change. Uh, I'm a traditionalist, but I still understand that, hey, you know what, you've got to get people interested and keep people interested. And I've been following the game long enough and a part of it long enough where I remember the time of games you see now with with the pitch clock, we used to see all the time. So we're we're not really revolutionizing the game like putting the DH in the National League or putting the DH in the American League many, many years ago where you're changing a huge dynamic. No, we're actually going back to what we used to do a little bit. So it's, that is yeah. Amazing. It's a fascinating.
0: We've had so many guests on talking about this. This is the first time uh, we've someone has brought in the insight of the def- effect on defense and the range of players. If you had to guess, how many teams slash players do you think this will affect? Is this going to affect like you know every team's roster, or um, you know, in some sense, everybody wants a third baseman who can have range anyway.
1: Well, I think you I think you have to think about it differently if you're in the front office. Before, if you had somebody who could really hit and was an offensive player and they weren't DH material because maybe you already had a DH, you could get away with it a little bit. Now you really can't get away with it. And as you watch defensive alignments now, you see the second baseman playing legally to the first base side of second or the shortstop to the third base side of second, but barely. So you've got big gaps in there. So if you do not have somebody with range, be it your first baseman, be it your third baseman, you're gonna order or shortstop or second baseman going to their right or going to their left. You know, it's gonna change. It's gonna change the outcome of a, pay, of a play. And so I think you've got to think about it, and you've got to make those types of adjustments. And I think as you draft, as you acquire players, I think players who can do that are gonna have a little bit more opportunity than the players that are maybe getting older and have lost a step the last few years. If you lost a step and you play the infield, they still find a place for you a little tougher today.
0: Adi wants to jump in, but just one quick follow-up question. Do you think there'll be an effect on the number of pitchers that most teams carry? If it's true, and maybe you've seen some data on this. I don't know. Maybe Adi has, but if you've seen some data on this, like um, pitchers will fatigue faster. They can't pitch as much. You need a bigger roster of pitchers. Do you think there's the possibility that that could happen as well?
1: It's possible. Anything is possible. But, you know, again, going back to, you know, my, my days in the game and my career, You know, when pitchers started to pitch seven innings as a starter, you started to say, well, you know, we we could probably use eight. And then it got to be six. And then it got to be five. So, you know, it keeps the expectation level continues to decrease. This is the first time in many years that the expectation level of that position has a new factor to it. You've only got X number of seconds to release the ball. But that's like the only thing in in my memory in a while that has changed. You know, they they changed the mound back in 68 after Bob Gibson had that incredible, incredible year. Uh, But there hasn't been many changes to that position except less work, less innings. You know, you look at, uh, you know, Sandy Koufax, for example, his last year, he he pitched with a torn ligament probably in his elbow because he needed surgery. It wasn't Tommy John. And he's, you know, he... Ended his career. He had 27 complete games in that season that he wasn't that he wasn't 100% healthy. How many yeah, before have... I turn
0: it to well, Adi, let me... let me just say quickly. Adi think I think Adi asked me the other day. I think it was Adi. It might have been one of my sons. I don't remember. Sandy Koufax has more complete games in that one season than I think um, one of your favorite players, Clayton Kershaw, has in his entire career.
1: And there you go. And Clayton Kershaw is as good as anybody that's picked up a baseball in the major leagues in the last 15 years. As good as there is. But, yeah, so, we always talk it about er- it.
0: different errors being totally comparable. Yeah. yeah. Well, Adi, Adi
2: wants to, uh, Adi, please jump on in here. I got a lot of comments there. I'm going to start with the reverse with the Sandy Koufax. I mean, the, the thing about those pitchers is they, they pitch so much, they accumulate far more war than a guy who pitches five innings. I mean, it's hard to be that valuable as a position when you have, when you're not going through the rest of the game. But on the other hand, on a, kind of per inning basis they're more valuable so you kind of have this this trade-off that's going on where we would we used to have a starter pitcher go so far and they actually weren't so great by the end of the game but we just let them pitch anyway because that's the way it worked and now we are today's game where the, the starters are pitching so much less and now you just need much more many more pitchers and then you throw into the mix this whole new innovation where you can't you can't uh you got to get re- release the ball. You can't walk around and you know you know get some some time where you recover. This has definitely got to be pushing a youth movement. And and no. you you're you talking about it in terms of the infield. But if you look at who's really surprisingly good this year, who are they? They're the teams with youth. And and I mean I've been watching uh, as Eric will, will, and I will just jump in, we're Yankee fans and we're not doing well. It's the first season in my memory we're in last place. And a lot of people are talking about are, and the Yankees' inability or the poor inability or just bad luck or whatever you want to call it. They just don't have the the young guys who are doing well, like the teams who have who have, who have have risen up.
0: Yes, yeah, so and Ned, what are your thoughts about that? And then I'll let uh, Kay jump in.
1: Well, I think any in any sport, if you're going to speed up the game, you need youth. It, 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 it goes hand in hand with the speed of a game. You know, I scout in the NHL. You know, guys that got to be 34, 35 years old, you know, most of those guys, maybe they were, they were they could really fly 15 years ago. They ain't necessarily flying today. So anytime you do get youth or get faster, you need the youth. So your, your point is, I think, right on. Yeah, Cade, please.
2: Well, he, Ned just answered my question, which was what is the relation between youth and the rule changes? Why? It does seem to be an observation this year. What is the actual connection?
1: Well, it's also cheaper. You know, when you, you've got those there's, there's few there's few positions that you have more risk in, and this is probably why innings became shorter and shorter for starting pitchers, than the pitching market. Look what the Mets did with, with, with Max and, and, and Justin Verlander. What was it, 43 mil a year, right? You know, for guys that are, you know, in the sunset, you know, they're not, they're not on the way to winning 20 games anytime soon. So it is a very expensive proposition. So the, to your points. The younger you get, obviously, you've got more control over salary until they get to be three years almost in the game, two plus, and a high number of days for arbitration or free agency. So the youth movement is a a positive, probably, for a lot of reasons, from a business standpoint and from a a, a compete standpoint, not experience. You can't microwave experience, but from those two perspectives, you'll see it. And that goes to your drafting and your development and your ability to, to find your own players. Nothing's more expensive or volatile than calling up an agent and trying to sign a free agent who you've never had in your room before. And all you've done is watch them. You can get all the medical you want. You can talk to anybody you want. Nobody knows those players like the team they're on. And that's a, that's a, that's a tricky proposition most of the time.
0: Well, we're here on Wharton Moneyball. We're talking to Ned Coletti. Ned is an executive with 40-plus years experience in Major League Baseball, including GM of the Dodgers. And I'm joined by my co-hosts today, Shane Jensen, Adi Weiner, and Cade Massey. So, Ned, let me ask you. I'm going to ask you, since we're we're an informal show here, let me ask you in the most informal way I can. What the hell made you have any credentials or the ability to scout for a National Hockey League? Or let me put it in a more analytically oriented way in a, you know – Is it the same things, like if you can scout in, like, could you scout for an NFL team? Could you scout for an NBA team? What actually made you look qualified, if you'd like, for that
1: transition? And, you know, what do you think you could transfer between the two sports? I think think a lot of it is transferable. How you manage your roster, how you manage your salary cap and things like that, going from baseball, which has a luxury tax, not a salary cap, To hockey is probably the the biggest adjustment that I've seen and, and smaller staff, so to speak. But there's so many similarities to it. I watch athletes. I've been, I've been evaluating athletes for decades. I start at the feet. I work my way up. How do the feet work? How do the hands work? How does the mind work? In, in every sport, and, and baseball looks like a slow sport, unless you're standing in a batter's box and somebody's throwing 98, then it's not too much of a slow sport, right? You've got a split second to make up your mind. Take a book, lay it out like this, drop it, and the time it leaves your hand, the time you hear it hit the floor, that's how much time you got as a hitter to make up your mind. So in every sport, and hockey more than most, you've got split-second decision-making. So as I scout, how's the decision-making work? How does their pulse work? How does their compete work? How do all these things mix in? And you could take any sport and you're going to have to know these things. So the adjustment, you know, the, I can't say I've had a, a ton of adjustment to it. Uh, and you, you have to be passionate about whatever you do. You know, I write 25, my first four or five years, I wrote 2,500 reports. You know, I talked to my baseball scouts that I that I had, had an ally in San Francisco. And they said, 2500 reports are you crazy how do you do that we've only got you know you got less games you got half the season than you do in baseball but you got to be passionate about it and you, you know you got to be committed to it but the athletes the athlete and I think that you look at what they do and how they do it and how they play in different situations when the chips are down when things are going great you know anybody can celebrate not everybody can come back like where you're talking about the Yankees are at right now takes a takes a pretty Robust psychological team to fight back from where they're at right now, before use-
0: I turn it over to Shane, who I know has a question, just a quick follow- up on this. Um, Ned, so how, since we're an analytics show, how do you blend the scouting report with the hard data and analytics? Now you could put on your GM hat here, you could put on your current hat. Um, how did you think about it? What if they diverged? Um, you know how did you think about, if you'd like, combining let's call it the data? And the scouting and the like, if you'd like, I know you're going to hate what I'm about to say, Ned, the objective and the subjective view. How did you blend those two together?
1: Well, I think that, you know, hockey has analytics to the extent that baseball does, probably not. But in every one of my reports, there was there were analytical services that NHL teams have. I would write my report. I would watch a game. I would write my report. And before I would submit it, I would go through the analytical study of that game and of different players that I had an interest in that I had written reports on. And the end of all my reports, there was an analytical section that I would put in there. I don't know if other scouts did. I don't see other scout reports, but I I always blended the two, you know, in my years, and and people see me as uh, anti analytics, you know, I'm an old school scout type of thing. That's not really me. Okay. When you're the general manager, you're looking for information from everywhere. And I used analytics actually, and they were prehistoric compared to today, but analytics helped me advance my career in the mid 80s in my first job with the Cubs. And, And so I'm a big proponent of it, but I think that it's important, whatever information you use in any business, to be able to measure it the way you see fit to make it conducive to what you're trying to measure and what you're trying to figure out.
0: One of the kind of primary differences I think about between baseball and hockey, other than, you know, the action of the sport itself, is kind of the trajectory or length of kind of time from sort of drafting to kind of major league or NHL play. And obviously, Major League Baseball famously has a very long kind of developmental pipeline. And so I guess what I'm really kind of trying to ask as, as kind of a scout, how much of your activity is longitudinal versus what we would call cross section or cohort and statistics, how much are you kind of judging different, you know, players in their kind of future ability based on, you know, them all at the same age, or how much are you kind of tracking, like talking, you know, writing about a player's kind of how a player is prov- progressing in their development?
1: Well, you do, you, they do progress quicker. It's, you know, you have, uh, you have players you draft from all over the globe and within a couple of years, you know, they're going to they're going to be in the show. You know, the kid that Chicago took first, Berard, you know, he's the yeah, the he's, he's ready you know, he's now. The <laughs> NHL. You know, McDavid, he's going to the NHL. You know, so you, there's not many baseball players that get drafted and go right to the big leagues. OK, you know, NBA, NFL, a lot different, obviously. But the, the to, to compare the two, you you project your projection is in a much smaller window of time. You know you are drafting this player. You've got probably two years, maybe three years to have this player contribute at the highest level. And you know, not everybody contributes immediately at the highest level. Some need back and forth time to to kind of figure it all out. But it's it's far quicker. And see, one of the other differences between the two sports is baseball. You've got a window to to sign your players. You don't sign them; they're going back to school, right? So in in hockey. You have a lot of players that you draft that end up staying in Europe for a while, that end up playing Canadian junior hockey, that end up playing collegiate hockey in the States. They're still under the guise of an NHL team. They're still, quote, tradable. They're still, quote, signable with the team that drafted them. But you've got about 700 players that are no longer, they're not professional, they haven't signed a contract yet, but they're not eligible for the draft which is totally different than baseball. It's you're either in or you're out in baseball. Here you're in, but you're not quite all the way in yet for the kids in junior or in major colleges in the States or in Europe. So, Ned, I know we only
0: have have time for you maybe for one more question. So let me ask this. um, Which of the two sports do you think – I'll just build on Shane's question about the draft. Which of the two sports do you think is more predictable – from the draft. I mean, on the one hand, you could say, well, maybe it's hockey because there's a shorter time window till the actual time they enter the league. But maybe in baseball, you could say, well, they've got a lot more plate appearances. They've got a lot more data. Which of the two sports do you think, if you had to forecast success, would you rather be someone doing the prediction for baseball or hockey?
1: Probably hockey, because you do have a shorter window. When you think about drafting a baseball player at 18 years old, he may not get to the big leagues until he's 23 or 24 you've got all sorts of things that are going to come up in life, right? You know, like, you know, most, most people go away to college and they have that experience. Some get drafted in 2021 as juniors. Some sign out of high school, first time away from home maybe. So, you know, you've got a longer route in, in baseball. You've got more things to probably overcome than you do in hockey. But again, it's, it's, a, it's an art. And those people who are in charge of amateur drafts are, are some of the best talents and evaluators in the world. But I'd say uh, hockey's got less of a less of a runway to go to get there. doesn't mean they're going to get there. doesn't mean you're going to have made a great pick, but they have a, they have less things that are going to probably impact them than uh, than a baseball player's got coming out of high school, certainly.
0: Well, Ned, we'd like to thank you for joining us here on Wharton Moneyball. We've been talking to Ned Coletti. Ned is an executive with 40 plus years experience in MLB, including GM of the Dodgers, Really honored, four-time Emmy Award-winning baseball analyst, now a professor of sports administration at Pepperdine. He's also doing work as a scout for the San Jose Sharks. So, Ned, thank you again for joining us on Wharton Moneyball. You're welcome. Thank you
1: guys for having me
0: on today. Great. So this has been Wharton Moneyball on behalf of myself, Shane Jensen, Adi Weiner, and Cade Massey, uh, and of course, our producer, the boss man, Matty Datz, and our associate producer and sound engineer, Deion Simpkins. Thanks to all of you. Uh, Between now and next week, uh, enjoy your sports, enjoy your analytics, and, of course, we will see you next week here on Morton Moneyball.